0: It's good to uh, see all of you um, As uh, J.P. Actually uh, He's had to leave He's preaching Over in Lawrence At uh, Javier's church And uh, Javier was on the staff here Many years ago And now he's a pastor in Lawrence And that's, it's sort of a sister church relationship And uh, J.P. Is, is preaching there um, This church is so rich in pastors That you can send John out on a Sunday morning and he preached elsewhere. It is so rich, you don't need me. They're, they're, uh, Fernando preaches, um, Dan preaches here, uh, Kathy preaches. And so it, you know, people always say it's an honor to be here. Well, it is because he didn't have to ask me. I'm glad he did, but he didn't have to. And uh, so it, it really is a blessing to be here with all of you guys, you folks. And uh, a lot of familiar faces, a lot of new faces, which is always a joy, people I don't recognize, which is a great sign, sign of the life and the health of uh, this place, this church. <clears throat> you, you're going to be starting a series soon. Uh, in fact, it's already started, started last week, uh, on the, the life of Joshua. And this is kind of the, the uh, uh, forerunner to that, kind of the, the, the backstory because the story of Joshua starts just as the Israelites are going into the Promised Land, and then the rest of it takes place in the Promised Land. This is actually uh, when the Israelites, still under Moses, he doesn't go into the Promised Land, of course, uh, just when they are about to go in. They have traveled all the way across, actually, Egypt, 250 miles across the Sinai Desert. It took them 40 years to get there. And then... They cross the Jordan River, and they come in from the east side uh, of of Israel. And and, and what's happening in the passage we're going to look at today is Moses speaking to that generation of Israelites and giving the law to them. Uh, It's the second reading of the law. That's what Deuteronomy means, the second law. And this is the second time the whole law of God was read to the Israelites the first time was at Mount Sinai almost 40 years before and this generation that's alive now probably didn't remember that and so here the law is being read to them and it's beautifully encapsulated in this in this passage with vivid language very clear vivid language and it's it's uh, Moses explaining to that generation that never saw the miracles never saw the Red Sea parted, never saw the Passover, never saw any of that. He's explaining to them what the desert experience meant. What was that all about? That was their whole life. This generation, their whole life was that. And it's all they knew it was the normal. What did it all mean? And in this text, we'll see. And it's got application for us. It, the story unfolds in three chapters. And every single one of us in this room is in one of these three chapters, as we'll see. But uh, before we start, let me pray. Pray for me and pray for you. Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be our teacher this morning. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength in our Redeemer. Amen. Our right, chapter one is God's gift, a place of blessing. He was leading them to a place, to a land that would be a place of blessing for them. Uh, Let me reread some of the scripture. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, deep springs gushing out into valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce, and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron, and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Uh, God was bringing the Israelites into a place. You can't be a people without a place. That's, you cannot survive. You cannot sustain yourself unless you have a place, a land, a, a life place. And that's what was, he was doing. God had formed this people. He had started with Abraham, and now 400 years later, they had been in, the, in, the, in, the, in Egypt, they thrived there, and then they became slaves. You know the story. And now God delivers them uh, through the hand of Moses. And he's bringing them to, to a place where now they will, will thrive and, and grow. And it's, it's, a, it's an Eden on earth. It's a new Eden, Garden of Eden. There's rivers there. The, the, the people will walk with God. That was his plan, that they would have this special relationship with God and they would walk with him. And, and it's all um, a, a type, uh, a representation. It literally happened. It happened in history. And it's the greatest event uh, in, in Judaism. It was their deliverance and the formation of them as a nation and, and the people of God and the giving of the law and all of that. But it's a, re- it's a representation of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Because the family of God, the people of God that he was fashioning, now encompasses the whole world. All nations are welcomed into that through Jesus Christ, our deliverer, who delivers us from bondage, from our slavery, to ourselves, to our egos, to our own will, to sin. He has set us free from that as we put our faith in him and discover him. And he, he has shown us his incredible grace. And he has set us on this journey, our life's journey, And it goes through wilderness. It's blessing, but it also encounters uh, all of the um, challenges and trials of this life. And then eventually into that new Eden. It's the beginning now, but it it leads. So it is all this picture of what is happening, of of the whole meaning of history. This is what God is doing. He's making a people for himself out of the whole world. And, And we see it here. Um, Israel is an amazing country. Kathy and I have been blessed to be there a number of times, and many of you have gone there with us. And it, it's, it's only about the size of Massachusetts, and yet uh, it, it sustains nine million people now. It, uh, it has minerals; it's, it's mineral rich. It has two growing seasons and uh, a rainy season in the winter time, so they get the, all of that rain and that water for agriculture. It's actually now a pioneer in agriculture. They are, they're really on the cutting edge of all kinds of pi, of uh, cutting edge uh, technology with agriculture in a desert. And, and it's even become now a an oil exporting. They discovered oil in the uh, eastern Mediterranean. And now it is actually exporting oil and natural gas to other countries around them. So they, they, they have it all right there. And it, it is an amazing uh, little country. And it, it, God blessed them with this place. And um, it's always been God's purpose to bless, to give. He is a giving God. He is a loving God. He is a generous God. Think about this earth that he has blessed us with. Nine billion people or eight billion, whatever it is. I haven't counted it lately, but it's a lot. And we all are sustained here. It's the only place in our, our solar system. Elon Musk hopes to get to Mars someday and colonize that, but you know, good luck with that. Didn't work out too good for uh, Matt Damon did it and, uh, when he was there. Um, was he really there? No. Um, and uh, so that's, that, that's out the window. That's not going to happen. And there's no other place. There's no other planet. We, scientists do not know of one other planet that has life on it. They think there may be others. There's trillions of planets in the universe, trillions of stars. And, but they have no, there's no evidence. Very possibly, this is it. This beautiful uh, Garden of Eden that, that sustains life. It's incredible. So, a uh, little pitch. We all need to do our part. We don't need to be crazy about you know, the environment. Don't need to be anxious about it. But, boy, we've got a place to, that's been entrusted to us, stewardship. Um, but in our own lives, we have been blessed. Now, in the Old Testament, blessing is mostly tangible. It's, mo- it's mostly uh, spoken of in terms of longevity, uh, health, children, uh, marriage, uh, prosperity, animal, herds, and all of that. And we see it right in this passage. Um, at the end of it, I'll, I'll, uh, actually in the middle part, we'll look at it. But it's his it's purpose to bring us into a place of blessing. And the difference is in the New Testament, blessing is not so much the tangible stuff. Now, we think of that. We think of all of these blessings that we have. And they are. We give thanks for them. And when we talk about blessing, that's mostly what we think about, is tangible blessings. But that's not how the, 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 the New Testament thinks of it. Because if by that definition, Jesus would be one of the least blessed people. He wasn't married, had no children, had no wealth, belonged to a, a non-elite culture, an oppressed culture, didn't live a long life. Uh, But but God was accomplishing all of his purposes through that one life uh, uh, in in the person of Jesus, Son of God, God himself. Um, uh, By that definition, there would be people in this, many people in this world who would not be blessed. And so in the New Testament, blessing is beyond that. And Paul reminds us in the first chapter of Ephesians, he says, praise be to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. In the heavenly realms, with every spiritual blessing in Christ, chosen by him. We've been cho- we're the chosen people as well. And blameless, holy, to be holy and blameless. Predestined to be adopted. Uh, Where the Johnny come lately? Adopted into his family. The Jews were first. Grace freely given. Think of all the, the wonderful uh, goodness and kindness that's been poured out in your life, by life. Redemption That's being bought back by the blood of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of sin. Wow, what a gift that is. Wisdom, understanding, knowing, knowledge of the mystery of his will. Ever wonder what God's will is? We in Christ can understand that mystery. Sometimes not easy, but it's been been given to us. All of these blessings, and Paul says, set your mind on those blessings. Uh, Think about those. I know we get focused on the earthly blessings. That's great. But think about the the heavenly blessings too because those are the ones really that account in the end and endure. Um, We have been blessed. God has richly blessed every one of us um, over and over again. And it's always his purpose to bless. You never have to wonder, is God going to bless me? It's always, 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 always his purpose to bless his people. Sometimes it doesn't look like a blessing, but it's always his purpose to bless us. Never doubt that. But, that's chapter one. Chapter two, there's a real danger that comes with blessing, and that is that we are tempted to think we have achieved this, that somehow by our effort, we have earned it, or we deserve it, and and that leads to a self-pride, a self-reliance, where we no longer depend upon Christ. We depend on our own resources, and our own wealth and blessing. And it's a dangerous place. And so Moses is warning the Israelites. He's explaining what um, God is doing and why the wilderness experience. We see that. Be careful that you do not forget, important word, forget the Lord your God. Failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord. The Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Um, There is a great danger in suddenly getting a lot of money that you did not earn. Now, I don't know this firsthand, okay? Okay. But it's obvious if you think about it. In fact, there is a, 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 a pledge that, that hundreds of the world's richest people, billionaires, are taking. It's Voluntarily, it's called the Giving Pledge. And it is a pledge to give away the preponderance of their wealth in their own lifetime and not to pass it on to the next generations. Bill Gates is in that club. Warren Buffett is in that club. Uh, Bill Cummings, who is the founder of Cummings Property down in um, Woburn, billionaire, and, uh, they, and many others, they're in this pledging because they see the danger of giving their children enormous wealth that they never earned. The parents earned it, the children didn't. And it's a real, it's fraught uh, that with problems, and they see it. Um, Jim Hackett. A member of our church who knows Bill Cummings, and Bill has a, has a, a slogan. He says, uh, "I want to give my children, leave my children, enough so that they can do anything, but so not so much that they will do nothing." And, and that's the wisdom. And, and Moses is recognizing that danger here. He's saying to these people, "You're going to be rich." You, you, you have a turnkey operation that you didn't create. You're going to go into that promised land. You're going to have to drive the people out. And that's, not going to be, that's going to be a challenge. You're going to drive the people out. But when you get there, you're not going to have to build the cities. They're already there. You're not going to have to plant the vineyards. They're already there. Ever try to grow grapes? I tried to grow grapes in Maine. Not a good idea. You're not going to have to do that. You're not going to have to clear the fields. Israel is an incredibly stony place. You're not going to have to do that. It's already been done. And you're going to get rich pretty quickly. And how are you going to handle it? Be careful. That's what he's saying. Be careful. You're going to be tempted. And so um, he says, remember. Don't forget. Remember where you came from, remember that it is God who is doing this. And, and, and that's, that's a temptation for us, maybe not with material wealth, um, but certainly we have a problem, and we cry out to God, and all we can think about is this problem that we have that is just robbing us of joy and peace and hope and, and maybe health. And we cry out to God. And we pray for deliverance. We pray for healing. And he heals us. And then we say, hey, problem's gone. And what do we do? We stop praying. We don't need him anymore. The stories of the soldiers in the foxhole. If you save my life, when I get out of this foxhole, I will give my life to you, they get delivered, what happens to the promise? We're all like that. We all do that. We all focus on the gift and not the giver. We're like little children at Christmas. We watch our grandkids just in a frenzy, one toy after another, present, package ripped open, set aside, on to the next one. Never ever saying, who gave this to me? I mean, they don't care. They're kids. They don't care. We're not kids. We know better. This is our temptation. We get comfortable, and, 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 it's, and we all do, and we forget. And one of the signs, there are symptoms to this. We, we find that maybe we're not reading the scripture as much, or we're reading it, but we're not getting anything out of it. I and mean, I can't tell you the number of times I've done my daily devotion. And if you ask me five seconds later, what was that about? I don't know. I don't know. Or we find ourselves praying, but in a perfunctory way or in the same way over and over again. There's no life to it. And, and maybe, our, maybe with our children, we become a little bit lax with that and we focus more on getting a good education or being good at sports than we are seeing that they are growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it happens. And that's our danger, too. And so we remember, for the Jews, it was to remember the holidays, the three greatest holidays of ancient Judaism were Passover, which was the deliverance, of course, out of Egypt. Uh, uh, Pentecost, which was the giving of the law on Mount Sinai to Moses with smoke, at the top of the mountain, and when the day of Pentecost came in the New Testament, and the church was born, the Holy Spirit was poured out. It was with fire and smoke, or, or fire, I guess, no smoke. Smoke wasn't, but the symbol, the idea that now the Spirit that brings the Word alive was given to us. And then the last one for them was in the fall, Tabernacles, which was a celebration thanking God that He had sustained them for those forty years in the wilderness, and. Uh, and and they remembered, and we, we need to remember. We come here, and this is our chance to remember. We celebrate Advent, the four weeks leading up to Christmas. We remember the great gift that God has given us of incarnating himself in Jesus. And then in the, in the winter and spring, we celebrate Lent, the six weeks leading up to Easter, to again remember these, this saving event for us. And because we forget, we easily forget, um, we need to be deliberate. I remember years ago, I met a couple from Wakefield, and they were uh, living kind of an ordinary middle-class life there. They had a couple of children, and he was an engineer, and he, he loved boats. That was his hobby, and he had a, a boat with a, with a hatch on it, um, and I have a boat. I have a canoe. It doesn't need a hatch, and he, but he had one with a, a hatch, and he hatches... As he told me this story years ago, he said they, they, at that time they were notoriously poor. They didn't close well, so you get rain or waves, uh, wind-driven uh, seas, and they would leak. Uh, they, but they have to serve several purposes. They have to be weathertight. They have to allow for ventilation. You open it up to allow the lower part of the boat to you know, air come in. They, they're a way to get light in or a way to pass items down through. And all of that. And so he got tinkering in his garage, and he developed a hatch. And he installed it on his boat, and it worked. It was perfect. And then he started selling them to his friends, and he started a little company there, and it took off. And then a big company, a boating company, bought him out for a lot of money. And all of a sudden, they became very wealthy. And they realized they had a problem, that they were in over their heads with this amount of money, and they were afraid that they were not going to be able to handle that. And so they actually became Christians and uh, started worshiping in a church there. And But they tried as much as possible to maintain that lifestyle that they had had before. Um, I was in their home. It was a beautiful home. Not lavish, though. Uh, they did get a bigger boat. and uh, But but they, they told me that when they would take that boat and they would sail up the North Shore and stop at all of the the uh, little harbors, and they would come in. Instead of having dinner at the most uh, luxurious seaside with the great views, waterfront restaurant, they would go back to the little restaurants that they used to go to, kind of the greasy spoon that all the locals know about. The food is good. The prices are low, but there's no atmosphere, no water view. They would go back there They could have afforded the others, but they would go back there. They said to remember who they were, where they'd come from. And that's what God wants us to remember. He wants us to remember that we were slaves in our own Egypt and that through Christ we've been delivered and been endowed with this incredible uh, blessing. God has another way to remind us. So that's the second place of blessing, temptation, our pride. The third is how God helps us learn. He sends us to school just when you thought school was out. He decides to open school again in the wilderness. And now they understand that's what this 40 years was about it was school. And here's the passage. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart so you would know what was in your heart. God knows what's in our hearts. Whether or not you would keep his commands, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but in every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In other words, our life is not sustained by the things we have. And the proof of that is death. Our life is sustained here and in an eternity by God alone. Everything else is, is temporary. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know that in your heart, that as a mate, As a man disciplines his son, so the Lord, your God, disciplines you. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless place with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. Five times in this text, the word no is used, K-N-O-W, this was a learning experience. This was to teach them. That's what this is about. We have been, Kathy and I have uh, traveled, as some of you, across the Sinai Desert a couple of times from Israel to Egypt. And it, it's only about 250 miles across. But it's absolutely barren. It's not It's not like the, the Mojave Desert or the deserts in Arizona uh, where this all vegetation. Uh, there, there's no vegetation there. It's absolutely barren. It's sand and rock. It is a, in other words, there's no place to sustain your life there. And in this metaphor, a wilderness is any place that we come into in our life uh, where we are totally at wit's end. It might be a a cancer diagnosis or some other debilitating illness in us or a loved one. It might be the death of a loved one. It might be the loss of a job or or the loss of a career. It might be divorce. It might be an addiction. It might be mental illness. But a place where all of the normal props of life have been kicked out. There's no water in the desert. There's no food. You cannot live there. And we find ourselves in these places, maybe nothing that severe, maybe something, though, that totally is a, a, a totally new experience for you. And you find yourself, all of the normal coping mechanisms are not there. And you're lost. And it's disorienting. And it's confusing. The world that they were in was a topsy-turvy world. Everything was upside down. The water came out of a rock. And the food came down from the sky. Normally, it's the other way around. Food comes out of the ground. And water comes down from the sky. And when we are in this wilderness place, this experience, we're confused. We've never been there before. We, things are all out of whack. And we're, we're lost. And in the desert, though, it's a, a quiet place. There's no noise. There's no one there. No one to make noise. And you hear things. In the desert is dry. The atmosphere, the visibility is amazing because there's no moisture in the atmosphere. in, in a wilderness experience, you hear things and you see things that you didn't see before. Because all of a sudden, you are so focused on what you are going through, the pain of that, that you hear nothing else. All of the distractions are crowded out. But if in that experience... We listen, we are careful to listen and observe. God will speak and we will realize he has allowed us to be there. Has he put us there? Well, that's a theological question. Does God cause tragedy to come into our lives? Uh, That's a hard question to answer. He certainly allows it, the permissive will of God we talk about. And he allows these things to come into our lives. And in that experience, He is present with us, and we see him, and we we hear him in a way maybe we have never heard before, Um, and God provides for us. I have seen this church. Churches get complacent. We we see that in the book of Revelation. Uh, There's a church in Sardis that thought they were really healthy, very alive, very active, but... uh, the Lord says, no, you're dead, um, or you're going to be dead. You're actually just sleeping. You need to wake up. And I don't know if you ever thought about it, but when you're asleep, you don't know you're asleep. You only know you are asleep when you wake up, right? If you're lying in bed saying, I'm asleep, one thing's for sure. You're not asleep. <laughs> and God gives us these wake-up calls to, to snap us out of our spiritual lethargy, to awaken us because we, we become dangerously complacent. And in the end, it is a good thing. We don't want it, but it is a good thing. Andrea Lerman said she saw a bumper sticker once that said, I don't want no stink and growth experience. We don't, do we? And we avoid it like the plague. But God allows them, and all of us at one time or other, We'll go through a desert, the likes of which we have never seen and never experienced. And then we'll remember Moses' words. Every one of us is in this story. Some of you are in a place of incredible blessing right now. Don't feel guilty about that. Thank God for it. Enjoy it. Some people can't enjoy the blessing. Whether it's material or spiritual, enjoy it. Whether it's family or something else, enjoy it. God has given that to you. Enjoy your family, enjoy your marriage, enjoy your kids, enjoy your job, all of enjoy your wealth, all your home. All of these things have been given to us to enjoy. And don't worry, gee, things are going really good now. They, people always just say bad things come in three. There's no truth to that. Don't wait, live your life waiting for the other shoe to fall. Things are great now, but oh boy, what's gonna happen now? No. That's not how that's not how God is. He doesn't play games with us. Enjoy the blessing, but be generous. Share it. Spill it over in other people, whatever that blessing is. Remember where you came from. Um, Remember, 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 remember him and all he's done. Um, Maybe you are in the school. Maybe you're in a wilderness place right now. If you are, stick close to the body of Christ. And if you have someone, you're in a blessing, but you have somebody who's in a difficult place, you stick close to them too. Don't say, if you need anything, call me. That is meaningless. That's like saying, sometime when you're in Maine, come visit us. You don't even know where we live. (laughs) Maine's a big state. Now, reach out to people. If you've got friends who are going through a difficult time right now, you stay in contact with them. Don't be intrusive. But let them know you pray for them. Let them know you, you, you think of them, that you care for them. Stay close to them. There are three times in life when, somebody told me this once, and I think it's true, when we pull back from people who are in a difficult place. One is when they uh, get cancer. Because cancer is this great unknown. It's this great mystery. It's like leprosy. It's always bad. Of course, it isn't always bad. But we think of that. We fear it. We pull back from people because we don't have an answer for them. We don't know how to pray for them. When people go through a divorce, we pull back from them because all the relationships now are kind of reconfigured. We don't know who to side with. We pull back from people when they are in a moral failure or a legal problem, almost maybe afraid it's contagious or something. Those are the times we need to reach out to people. Not in a judging way, maybe this fault, but just to let them know. They're not alone. And they were praying for them. And God has, for whatever reason, in his will and wisdom, allowed them into this situation. Um, so we're in here, somewhere or other. But it's not wasted time. The wilderness is not wasted time. Someday we look back after we have emerged, and the Israelites are about to emerge, and we'll say, Lord, I needed to go through that. Or I didn't want to go through that, but having gone through that, I see what you did in my life. And we become more resilient. We become more compassionate. We become more like Jesus. And uh, we like who we've become, and that's not a bad thing. So there you have it. School, life in the wilderness. Amen.